Let me ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Before we, before we read, I just wanted to mention we had a little uh, send-off for um, Rick. He, um, we, we had a poker party last night at, at Mike Missentone's. Um, and, and I have to, I have to just uh, say this um, after thinking about giving consideration to the, the poker game. Um, I've decided that, uh, that, that poker is a sin. All cards are off limits now. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I was the first one to, to lose last night and uh, left in shame and disgrace. This really is just simply my, my deep felt heart desire. Anyway, um, so things like cards, right? Uh, things like alcohol, uh, things like um, smoking, uh, things like that all are some of the issues that uh, Christians have been over a barrel about uh, and continue to, to try to wrestle with how should we think about our freedom? How should we think about um, what does God say uh, is a green light? What does God say is a red light? Um, where does my conscience fit in? Maybe it feels green, but it's not. Maybe it feels red, but it's not. Uh, and Paul is writing to the church in Rome giving uh, a lot of thought, helping these Christians work out these differences in background and how those differences are affecting um, their view of one another's freedom. And so he continues to talk about the role of, uh, of how to care for one another, how to glorify God, how to think about uh, our conscience. In chapter 14, please stand In honor of God's word, I'm going to read verses 19 to 23. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Father, we pray that you would lead us and teach us by your word this morning, that we would see the gospel clearly, that we would be shaped and transformed by the renewing of our minds and our hearts so that we would know and understand what is acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So this is a a group of verses that are talking about our obligation to one another as brothers and sisters Um, And it's also uh, describing what does it mean for each one of us to maintain a clear or a healthy conscience with regard to our our actions. And I'm going to flip it on its head. I want to start at the end and and work backwards. I'm going to talk about keeping your own conscience clear uh, to start with. And then we'll talk about uh, keeping your your brother's or your sister's conscience clear as well. so we're going to look at verse, uh, the end of verse 23 here where Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Um, and he's talking about the role of, the, of, of your conscience. If you can't 
do what you're going to do with a clear conscience, don't do it. Because if you do it, it becomes sin for you. It's no longer done by faith. Uh, so this brings up the whole question of well, what, what's a conscience? What is your conscience? Uh, a very famous theologian uh, named Jiminy Cricket uh, once said that a conscience is that still small voice that people won't listen to. Um, and that's just the trouble with the world today. Uh, and it's true. That uh, is a, a big part of what's wrong with the world today. This isn't the first time Paul has addressed the issue of conscience. And uh, earlier in chapter 2 of, of Romans, he is talking about how the gospel, um, well, you know, the gospel of God's law, it's actually good news that God reveals what he says is good and what is wrong. Uh, the, God's law came to the Israelites uh, through Moses, and God revealed to them what is right, what is wrong. Uh, but uh, Paul is writing to a church that has people that are coming from a Jewish background, but also people that are coming from a Roman background and a Greek background who never got the Ten Commandments, who never received you know, God's law. And Paul in chapter 2 is saying, but they still have a conscience, that there's this internal evidence for the reality and the existence of God because we all know what's right and what's wrong. And that moral sense comes from somewhere. It comes from a moral source. Uh, and not only does the internal conscience bear witness to the existence of God, there's this external evidence that Psalm 19 talks about. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, the stars, his handiwork. Um, so we just look around and you can see evidence of a creator but at the end of the day, what we have is this. We have this eternal evidence, um, his own revelation through his word to us. Uh, and so eternally, externally, internally, we, we have this you know, proof of who God is, what he wants, um, and his will for us. So our conscience is there. It's, um, it's a good guide. Again, Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience, always let your conscience be your guide. But it's not an infallible guide. It's not perfect, and it needs to be perfected. It needs to, to grow, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, so how do we know what's right and what's wrong and what we should do and what we shouldn't do? There's a couple of things that, uh, that I want to point out. Um, when we think about how do I know what's right, what's wrong, well, anything that goes against God's expressed law we know, you know is sin, and so that, that circle makes sense to us. But here what we're seeing, especially in verse 23, is that not only anything that goes against God's law is sin, but anything that goes against your conscience becomes sin for you. It's sinful for you. Uh, and so when you put these two together, what you see is that um, pleasing God or living a life that glorifies him is not only a matter of knowing his law and doing it and, uh, or not doing what he forbids, but also keeping a healthy conscience. It's important to keep those three, uh, you know, th th that in balance so that we know um, what does he want me to do when we're trying to figure out uh, his will. So, for instance, if you're trying to figure out, is it okay for me to do something? And let's, let's use uh, uh, physical intimacy. When, um, when Kathy and I were dating, you know, the question of, uh, of uh, whether or not Christians should kiss when they're dating was, was a big question. And it, it continues to be a question. We were reading Elizabeth Elliot back then, 
Uh, a few years ago, people were reading a book, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye or whatever, and I'm sure you know, there's going to be another book that comes out and people are going to say, well, should we kiss or not? Maybe to you that sounds like a really dumb you know, little conversation to be having if you're new to the church and you're going, why would anybody care if you kiss your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Well, put up with this for a second. Um, so here's how it goes. You know, it, you're, it's, it's never right to do what God forbids. And so when it comes to physical expressions of intimacy, God forbids sexual immorality. And so we're not to commit sexual immorality. And furthermore, uh, God puts it positively when he says you're to pursue purity. And so it's, uh, on the one hand, it's not good to do what God forbids. And on the other hand, uh, it's not good to not do what God commands. So that's God's law. Don't commit sexual immorality. You know, live a life of holiness and purity. You know, be sanctified, be holy. But then there's this whole realm of conscience. What do you do with, what do you do with kissing? Does kissing fall into the category of sexual immorality? Well, God doesn't seem to forbid it. And, you know, he uses uh, greet each other with a holy kiss. Right? It's a holy kiss. Um, and obviously, so, so let's, let's be clear. There's, a, there's certainly a, a slippery slope to uh, forms of physical affection. And you've got to figure out where that line is for you. But, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to, to find chapter and verse that outlaws kissing. Um, between, you know, maybe a boyfriend and a girlfriend. You can certainly find Christian communities that will outlaw that. But I don't know that that, that, that case is really, really clear biblically. Um, so it's okay to do what God does not forbid by way of conscience. And it's also okay to not do what God does not forbid. Meaning... Kathy and I were dating, we're at JMU, you know, there were some seasons when we were dating, uh, and we dated like from, you know, sort of off and on, all through college, got married right after we graduated. There were some times when, you know, we would kiss each other goodnight, and there were some times when we were like, nope, we're going we're gonna to kind of do this fast, or we're going to, you know, um, be like, you know, Elizabeth Elliot, and um, come on, good grief, I'm forgetting her husband's name, help me. Jim, thank you. Um, and we're, we want to be like the Elliots. So anyway, uh, and, and so it's okay to do uh, what God does not forbid, and it's also okay not to do what God does not forbid. So there are times when somebody's going to say, well, we don't want to kiss, or we want to wait until we get engaged, or we want to wait until we get married to, to express that form of physical affection. Good for you. But here's what's never okay. It is not okay to kiss if you think kissing is wrong. So you've kind of got this whole dance of God's law and our conscience, and I know that may sound a little bit confusing or whatever, that's okay, you know, Jiminy Cricket again. Yep, temptations. They're the wrong things that seem right at the time, but even though the right things may seem wrong sometimes, or sometimes, Wrong things may be right at the wrong time, or vice versa. Understand? No. <laughs> so what should you do if you don't understand or don't know what to do? Um, I, look, we're not, we're not in the weeds. We're not in the woods. It's not that hard. Uh, two weeks ago, we were talking about these four questions that form some green space. 
is it lawful, all right, does God give you a green light or a red light? Is it lawful? Um, and then for issues of conscience, you start asking things like, does it glorify God? Can I really, is, it, is what I'm about to do uh, or not do, is it going to make God bigger for me or for other people? Or are we going to have a greater appreciation of who he is? Does it glorify God? Third question, um, can I give thanks for it? What I'm about to do, what I'm not about to do, is it like a meal that you sit down before and you say grace over it? God, thank you for this meal, for what, we, what you've provided. Um, all good gifts come from you. Is it a good gift that you're about to receive that you can say thanks for? And if not, don't do it. Fourth question, is it helpful? Does it build you up? Does it build up your brother? Does it build up your sister? And those four questions create you know, really beautiful boundaries. It gives us green space so we can play and frolic inside that. And you know, not all questions are going to be watertight. Not all situations are going to be watertight with those questions, but it's a pretty good guide for us. Um, and, then just, and then relax. Because if you're reading the end of verse 23 and you go, whatever's not from faith is sin, and you go, oh, no. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to be absolutely certain about everything that I do or don't do. No, you don't, because give up on the illusion of 100% faith. You and I have never exercised 100% perfect faith south of heaven. It doesn't exist. Only one person has done that, and you know he died 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead. Uh, so you can relax, you can stop imagining that your salvation depends on what you do or what you don't do. It actually depends on what Jesus did, what he um, said no to, and what he said yes to. And then just trust God with whatever step of faith you have to take. If it's unclear, either A or B or C or D or E, at the end of the day, you've got to decide. And a lot of times the Christian life is just taking that next step and trusting Jesus, you know, help me, I don't know where this is leading I don't want to dishonor you. I want to give thanks for you and trusting him to lead the rest of the way. So Paul negatively puts it here. Anything that's not done from faith is sin. Positively, it goes like this. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all for his glory. Do it all by faith. Um, Because, as the end of verse 22 says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed is the one with a clear conscience. Blessed is the one who has a healthy conscience. Blessed is the one who knows what pleases God and does it. Uh, The trick about the Bible is that it's uh, it's not case law. It gives us, most of the time it gives us principles It tells us things like, you know, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, you know, do not covet. And then we've got to work out from situation to situation, from age to age, from culture to culture, what does that look like? And how does that affect my day in and and day out choices? Well, this is where we need the Holy Spirit. This is where we need scripture. This is where we need a renewed mind like Paul was talking about back in chapter 12, to be able to discern what is pleasing and good and perfect. And, and here's, here's a little bit of how that works. Um, let me show you a couple more slides. So again, you know, whatever is against my conscience and against God's law is sin. And how do I grow as a Christian? What does it look like to, to, to become a closer disciple of Jesus? Well, I want more of my conscience to align with God's law. So I want to be able to, to see a greater degree of overlap between what 
what's an alert for me and what God says should be an alert. Uh, what's, what's compelling for me and what God says should be compelling uh, for me. Uh, and so what ends up happening as we're trying to grow in Christ is that when we look at that overlap, as Paul's been describing weak faith and strong faith and deferring to one another and you know, loving the weak brother or sister, strong faith is the kind of faith that recognizes God has set these boundaries. He said, this is you know, a green light, this is a red light. And my life is, is now conforming to what God has blessed and what God has set is off limits, what he forbids. And I'm free. I'm free to enjoy the gifts that he's given, um, and I'm free to give thanks uh, for the good things that he's provided. And Paul's also talking about those, those episodes, and we all have this area too, where we have weak faith. And we were thinking some things are off limits. You know, if you grew up thinking that um, as the Jewish community in Rome is thinking, uh, hey, we, we can't eat, you know, this meat or drink, you know, this wine that presumably has been offered in some kind of, you know, idolatrous ritual or, um, you know, Roman uh, religious rite. And, uh, and so they're very scrupulous about it. And Paul says, well, no, it's just meat. You know, the hocus pocus over that piece of meat doesn't change it, and it's still a good gift if it's received by faith. On the other hand, he tells the Corinthians, if this is going to make your brother stumble, who thinks that, well, it's because it's been offered to an idol, we shouldn't eat that, then you go, all right, yeah, for your sake, because this is troubling for you, I'm going to abstain and be an herbivore today, right? So we all have these areas where we stumble, where we think, or where we might stumble, and we think it's better to abstain. It's better for me to just say no because um, I feel like I'm on thin ice if I do this or I don't do that. And that's that weak faith area where I still haven't really kind of embraced everything that God has revealed and what he said is good and what he says is not healthy, etc. And then there's just the places where, my, shoot, I'm either ignorant of God's law and I'm doing what he says I shouldn't do or not doing what he says I should do or I don't care and my conscience is seared, or my heart is hard, and that's not good either. So the Christian life, as we're trying to grow, this is what we are pursuing. We're trying to find more and more overlap, right? So we want, you know, this perfected conscience that we will get in heaven, uh, this side of heaven we're, we're still working on. By the way, uh, this is what Jesus' conscience looked like. Perfectly free perfectly free to enjoy the good gifts that God had given, knew what God said no to, knew what God said yes to, and lived his life with that kind of conscience. And that's the kind of conscience that, that we aspire to as well. Um, the conscience has to be, you know, as uh, one commentator put it, must be educated to judge scripturally. Uh, rather than just kind of dealing with all of our anxieties or our fear about what God, you know, might do and um, what I should do to just make extra sure uh, the gospel calls us to enjoy the security that we have uh, in Jesus. So in that sense, blessed is the one with a clear conscience. Don't go against your conscience. Paul says, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Because... Verse 23 says, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. So you don't want to be condemned. 
That's why you keep a clear conscience. Who's doing the condemning? Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Who condemns him? Does God condemn him? Back in chapter 8, Paul, um, Paul went to great lengths to state emphatically that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what Paul was saying earlier in in Romans 8 was that Jesus was condemned for those who were condemned. Jesus was condemned in the place of the condemned. Jesus was condemned in the place of all who would call on him to have their sins forgiven. For all who would call on him so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us because of him. So that there would now be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he he says it again at the end of Romans 8. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can condemn the one who is in Christ? Jesus took all of our sin on himself, paid the price, it's done, it's buried, it's in the grave, it's not coming out, and he rose again from the dead in newness of life, in holiness and in glory, and we are in him if your faith is in Jesus. If you're new to the church, new to the Bible, that's the gospel. That's in a nutshell, that you're in Christ, that you're kind of turning away from doing life on your own, trying to find your own rightness or righteousness or, or just living independently, minding your own business, doing your own thing, to now saying that's not enough. It doesn't work. Not only, you know, circumstantially or pragmatically, but cosmically it doesn't work. And that the only thing that does work is the way that God designed me to be, which is to have a life that's in Jesus. In the one who is the the fulfillment, the, the perfect image of the Father, the one who shows us who God is, and to be in him. And if you're in him, there's no condemnation. So who does the condemning in verse 23 here? It's the person himself. It's his conscience that condemns him. He loses his sense of of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. He loses his connection with the kingdom. He loses his sense of acceptance. He loses or she loses her sense of, of freedom. She loses her sense of being clean. She loses her sense of being uh, forgiven when our conscience condemns us. God doesn't want us you know, to live that way like we're orphans, like we're condemned, like we're on the outside. He says, no, you're in, in Christ. Live consistently with that. And I do have to say, and and take a moment and put this kind of on on the side for us to remember, that even though it's it's hard to work out, and I don't see all the ways that it, it, it meshes up completely, we will in heaven, but this side of heaven, we 
need to understand that there's this tension we have to live with between our security in Christ and the warnings of Scripture that say, don't continue down an unrepentant path toward destruction. Paul told Timothy that there are, you know, those who hold to faith and to a good conscience, but others rejected that, and some have made shipwreck of their faith. Security in Jesus is a beautiful thing, but it should never become a license to sin or an excuse to go against your conscience or to ignore the warning lights. Because there are, you know, episodes and situations where Scripture warns us that it's possible for somebody who said they were in Christ, who said that they were living in Christ, who said they believed in Jesus, to demonstrate that, no, you know what, at the end of the day, their life, their unrepentance, their guilty conscience, all these things that continue to lead them down this trail of destruction prove that they were never really in Christ in the first place. Something to remember. Let's talk about your brother's clear conscience. Um, whoever causes, whatever causes your brother to stumble in verse 21, uh, that's sin for them. Uh, Paul says it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or you know, do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Uh, you know, previous verse, he said it uh, negatively. It's wrong for anyone to make another stumble uh, by what he eats. So, we need to be conscious of our brother or our sister's conscience. And back when we were talking about relational wisdom a couple of years ago, this was that whole expression of being other aware and other engaged. Know your brother or sister. You've got to know what is going to be a temptation to them potentially. Which means if you don't know what's going to potentially make your brother or sister stumble, it's because you don't know them. Which means because you're not in community with them, because you're not in community because you're not investing in the body of Christ that God has put around you. And so this is one of those places where the, the assumption is that we know one another, that we're loving one another, and that we know how to protect one another. So be conscious of your brother or sister's conscience. Don't cause them to stumble by what you approve. Instead, be aware and, uh, and serve your brother or your sister. Um, this, this brings up some questions for us. You know, we're, we're here um, at Tabernacle, and as I mentioned before, what do you do with co- questions like alcohol? What do you do with questions about, you know, poker? Uh, what do you do uh, with the previously uh, tongue-in-cheek named men's retreats, the Tabernacle ATF retreats? One person got that. All right, Uh, so the ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Um, We would take these men's retreats, and there would be a shooting range for guys that wanted to go shoot. Um, You know, guys were free to drink a beer. Um, Maybe there was some, you know, a couple of guys smoking cigars or pipe or whatever. Uh, And and we were enjoying Christian liberty. We still do, you know, um, when we do the men's retreats. Now, is that okay? Is that okay to do that? We should rename it the Tabernacle ATFP, uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Poker uh, Retreats. Are we okay to do that? Um, let's talk about, let's talk about um, beer or alcohol, for instance. This is, uh, this is Kevin DeYoung, uh, his book, The Hole in Our Holiness. He says, suppose you grew up thinking that alcohol was wrong. I mean, always wrong. Like, you'd rather drink Drano than Bud Light. 
Um, that's a false dichotomy, by the way, because I'd rather drink Drano than Bud Light, and I'm okay, I'm okay with beer. Uh, but now you are at a church that says alcohol is not sinful so long as you are of legal age and don't drink to excess. What should you do? So um, here at Tabernacle, we, going back to those, that list of questions, you know, we know that it's not okay to do what God forbids. So God says don't get drunk. So no, you know, that is, uh, that's a sin to be intoxicated. Don't drink to, in excess. Don't drink till you get drunk. And it's not okay to not do what God requires. God requires of us to be sober-minded at all times. Be sober-minded. Um, so don't do what God forbids, and you have to do what God requires. And then when it comes to conscience, it's okay to do what God does not forbid. God does not forbid the use of alcohol in the Bible. He doesn't. You can make a case that he actually commends it, um, but he doesn't forbid it for sure. So you're free to drink alcohol if you want. But guess what? You're also free to do, to not do what God does not require. It's okay to not do what God does not require, which means you're free to not drink alcohol. And we can love each other for that and respect each other for that. And it also means that you are not free to do what you think is wrong. And if you grew up like Kevin DeYoung, thinking that all alcohol is bad all the time, and your conscience still says that that's a red light for you, don't do it. Don't do it. So what happens, you know, when you've got this whole question of the weaker brother or sister, and they're saying, all right, I'm, yeah, that's going to, you know, lead me into temptation. What should a church community do? What should the men's community do? What should the women's community do? I don't know what you all do on women's retreats. Good for you. Uh, but... So this is a power discussion. This is about the majority power. This is a culture discussion. So if you've got, um, well, in verse 20, Paul says that everything is indeed clean. You know, he's instructing the weaker brother, don't call dirty what God says is clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So really what we're talking about is what's been called binding the conscience. It's wrong to make another stumble uh, by what liberties you're enjoying. So if it's the strong that are in power, the, the, those who feel free, if they're in power, if they're the majority culture, it's wrong for them to make rules that would make a weaker brother or sister stumble. For instance, it would be wrong for Tabernacle to say, hey, come to our men's retreats, and if you come, you have to drink a beer. We're going to haze you. I mean, I don't know. Uh, that, a better example is this. Um, at Tabernacle, what we do for the Lord's Supper, for instance, is we offer the option of wine or grape juice. So there's wine on the outer ring and grape juice in the middle. And woe to the person who forgets which ring uh, is which. But we do that because uh, we want to respect people's conscience. So if you have a scruple against alcohol, God bless you, uh, but we're not going to make or enforce uh, you. If you want to have the Lord's Supper, you've got to go against your conscience. That would be um, sinful for us to do. So you see how that's kind of this, who's in, who's in power, what's the majority culture? Same thing goes for the, the weaker brother. If the weaker brothers or weaker sisters have the majority um, you know, vote, as it were, and if they're in power, then it's wrong for them to make rules that would bind someone's conscience to theirs. 
Isaiah even goes so far as to say, woe to the one who calls good evil. Which is something to think about. So how do we defer to one another? Well, there's this fine line, a fuzzy one, a fine, fuzzy line between serving the weaker brother out of you know, our own freedom, uh, your personal expression of, hey, I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. This might make him or her stumble. And you abstain from whatever it is. There's a fine line between doing that versus codifying rules and enforcing these you know, weaker brother's scruples. And that becomes binding on everybody's freedom. Um, G.I. Williamson does a commentary on our confession of faith, and in this he says that the the objection that, look, we have to have these rules because we either have to have total abstinence or else everybody's going to go off the rails. And he says, look, this objection is tantamount to saying that a man-made rule will keep a Christian from sin better than the Holy Spirit who dwells in him. And that's, that's ridiculous. So at the end of the day, we want to think about the, the, the gift of a conscience. It shouldn't be abused. We have to respect it because the conscience is a terrible thing to waste, to borrow a line. A conscience is like your, your dashboard indicators uh, on, your, on your car. I've got this beater um, you know, station wagon, and I have many, many dashboard lights that illumine periodically. And they remind me of things like check your oil because you have an oil leak and check your coolant because your coolant leaks and check your engine because your engine is always a mess. That light's always on um, and I just ignore it. Um, And you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, I probably shouldn't do that. But when it comes to your conscience, your conscience are your indicator lights and they're warning you, hey, this might not be healthy for you. Don't ignore that. A conscience is a terrible thing to waste. Don't waste your brother's conscience. Um, The best way to love your weaker brother or sister uh, is to serve them and to defer to them and bless them. And then once they know that you love them, once they know that they can trust you, you actually have earned the right to be heard and can come alongside them and say, hey, let's, let's talk about why you think Alcohol is wrong, or you know, playing poker is wrong, or whatever. What's behind that? What you know? And give me your story, and they'll tell you your story, and maybe you can have a conversation about the gospel, and you know, really, what does Jesus free us to do and not do? But it'll be a healthy one, rather than them suspecting that oh, this is all about you insisting on your freedom, right? So, don't waste your brother's conscience, and don't waste your own conscience. Um, Kevin DeYoung goes on to talk about how the danger of going against your conscience, of you know, driving through those warning lights, I can make it to the next exit, my engine will be fine. The danger is that if you violate your conscience in this matter, even though it is not forbidden, that you'll learn to disobey your conscience in other matters. And maybe some of those are forbidden, right? So what are you doing what are you doing that maybe feels a little bit off, feels a little bit sketchy, feels a little bit dirty, but you're just going, you know, I'm ignoring those warning lights. Your conscience is blaring and you're not being self-aware and you're not being self-engaged and you're ignoring it. Where, where are you feeling like maybe I should be doing something different? Like how far are you going physically with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? If you're thinking, you know, boy, I, that, that didn't, that felt good at the moment, but now I'm regretting it. Uh, guess what? You ignored your conscience. Um, how, about, how about your taxes? 
You feeling really good about all your deductions? Are you feeling like you have an absolutely clear conscience before the Lord about everything that you've written off? Is that good? Or are you going, eh, maybe I'm stretching things? You know, is that worth having a, an unclean, unhealthy conscience? Uh, how about that third or fourth trip to the buffet line? You know, is there any pause? Yeah, maybe I should. Ah, I will. I'll just, you know, because it's so good. God cares about your stomach. He cares about your body. Um, you know, it could be the next words out of your mouth. Do I really need to say this off-color thing? Oh, but I get such a great reaction. Yeah, I'll say it. You know, that's your conscience warning you. No, that's not building your brother or sister up. What about that movie, that book, or that website? Is it clean? Or is it sketchy? Is it a little bit off? Does it align with Philippians 4? Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And you and I have to stop making excuses for sketchy behavior. And we've got to learn to listen to our conscience and heed it. So let me pray for us. Father, would you continue your transformative work in us? Help us to live out the gospel. Help us to love like Jesus loved. Help us to build one another up. Help us to live a life that understands what you approve of and what you disapprove of. Uh, what's going to be healthy for us and healthy for our brothers and sisters, what's going to promote fellowship and what's going to promote uh, blessing and help us to steer clear of the things that are going uh, to promote stumbling and are going to promote uh, something unhealthy. Lord, we pray that you would uh, be at work in those who are just putting the gospel together uh, bit by bit uh, today. I pray that we would rejoice in the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ whose sins are forgiven, and who are new creations because of your spirit. And help us to live out that new creation. Help us, uh, our consciences, to align more and more with your law, with what you've revealed, so that you would get more glory, so that more and more people would have a view of your mercy to us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.